Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack, the service that searches out the world's best independent magazines and delivers them direct to thousands of readers around the world every month. If you love discovering great new publishing from outside the mainstream, head over to stackmagazines.com and use the code podcast to save 10% when you join our independent magazine club. This week, I'm speaking with Kasper Skovgard peterson editorial manager at Scenario, the quarterly magazine produced by the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies. As you'd expect, he has a lot to say about the various possible futures we might have waiting for us. And I was really interested to hear about the different techniques they use at the Institute, particularly those that involve challenging dominant narratives to look beyond what seems to be obvious or self-evident and how they use those same techniques editorially in producing the magazine. They also have a range of other publications, including reports and a digital little sister to the main magazine. It touches on all of those two. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Casper from Scenario. Casper, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Oh, yeah, my pleasure, Steve. So you are editorial manager at Scenario, um, and I normally begin uh, a conversation like this by saying, tell me about the magazine. So, you know, what is this magazine? But I think we should take a step further back than that uh, and begin by saying, um, what is the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies? Right. Yeah, that's that's a good place to begin, I think. So, um, so yeah, Scenario is, is published by the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, which is a non-profit independent think tank located in uh, Copenhagen, mm-hmm. as the name suggests. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really a sort of a, the Institute is a lot of different things at once. We are a, a publicist, so we publish Scenario Magazine, and uh, we also publish uh, 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 reports under the name Scenario Reports, as well as a uh, a sister magazine to Scenario, the, the new digital Scenario Digest. Digest. Uh, apart from that, the Institute is also um, an advisory. So uh, the field of future studies is is most often employed in um, sort of in advisory services for organizations or businesses and so on. Mm-hmm. So this is actually the main thing that we do as futurists uh, working at the Institute. We, we tend to work in sort of networks of, uh, of organizations within a different field or within a different industry. So, for example, we might uh, set up uh, a mini think tank or a hub for organizations working within the, the green energy, green innovation sector mm-hmm. or for organizations working in the blockchain world. Uh, another example could be that we might develop um, scenarios for a specific organization facing some uncertainties in their future uh, sort of as a as a help to to get them to uh, think about the future in a new way and develop the strategy accordingly by using these uh, these methods that the futurists working here are, are experts in using and that include the the scenario method which you might uh uh, which you might have guessed, that's where the name for hmm. the magazine, Scenario Magazine, comes from, right? So um, the role of the Institute is really to try to educate and inspire this 
decision makers in organizations and in the public in general to try to um, understand the future and to try to act on that knowledge of the future in making their decisions today. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I imagine that operating at the moment, uh, is, is, it, is it more difficult doing that at the moment than it, than it ordinarily would be? I mean, there definitely are some, uh, <laughs> some challenges in our, our new post-COVID world. Um, a lot of our activities are face-to-face activities, you know, whether it's a meeting with a particular client or whether it's a workshop or whether it's a live talk. A lot of this stuff has really, has really been put on hold at the moment. So we are, we are currently trying to figure out new avenues of doing futures work. Um, which is uh, a challenge, but also exciting in its own way. And, uh, you know, in the magazine business too, it's, you know, that, that's, there has definitely been some changes. You know, people don't go to the magazine stores as much as they used to. Right. Um, and so that's, that's, that's given its own set of challenges, right? So it's kind of forced us to uh, maybe, you know, take our own medicine and try to... Um, try to uh, work with our own assumptions about the future and try to deconstruct those and try to find new avenues of working, um, doing futures work in this, in this very strange new era we've entered. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, OK, let, let's get into that then. So how far down the road have you got then with thinking about the future of print magazines? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. I think... Um, I'm sure you would agree that uh, the golden age of print is probably behind us. Of course, um, of course. It probably is somewhere in the past, but I think, uh, you know, for for many different reasons, doing magazines in print especially, it has it has sort of retained uh, its niche in, in a way. I mean, I personally still read print magazines. I know many people do. Uh, there's still something about the physicality of you know, an artifact like a print magazine in this very digitized age. I was uh, talking to a colleague the other day about this idea that we have actually entered a new digital dark age. And, you know, on the face of it, it seems like a really strange idea. You know, how can we be in a in a dark age when any any everything we do is categorized and is recorded online? But... Um, she was telling me about this idea that the more I heard about it, the more sense it made that, you know, who are the, the archivists of our of our modern digital age? Well, to a large extent, it's these huge conglomerates, you know, social media giants and so on, who choose what information to be categorized, what information is important, what information is valuable. And uh, the motives that drive them are often not the motives that uh, are in the common good or sometimes those two things can overlap but sometimes they don't and so um, you know for all the the, the digital tools and uh, ways of working it's it's all pushing the, the world forward in, in many different ways but in a way I think print in its own little way has uh, has uh, definitely will retain its relevance in the future maybe not as an archivist of information but I think people are longing for some sort of counterbalance to the very like uh, to the very saturate the saturation that uh, the digital uh, has in our lives. Mm. I certainly love sitting down once in a while with a print magazine and just taking the time to read through the pages. You know, you don't have a million different tabs you click through. You have one thing. That's the magazine you're holding in your hands. 
and there's one thing you have to focus your attention on. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think that <clears throat> I think in many ways the limitations of print are actually the the great strengths of print. And thinking about Scenario Magazine and and the way that you could use that within the institute, I guess I could see two main ways of it playing out. And so, on the one hand, you might use print to influence the way people think, and so to encourage more. Uh, clients to come to you for the work that has a a better um, profit margin or you might have print as something that you can actually be selling out there in the world as a a product is it I mean did it is there one of those two that that sounds kind of more true to you I think it's definitely uh, there's definitely a lot of truth to that The, the fact that you are visible in the physical world um where it's arguably a little less noisy today than it is in the digital world. The fact that you have taken the time and care to produce this, this, uh, you know, this artifact and got it out there in the, the corner store or in the airport store, and it's visible there for people to see and they can pick it up and they can see, oh, Scenario Magazine, oh, the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, how interesting. Hmm. It, 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 it gives a different kind of connection, I like to think. Um, for, for a lot of people, the, phys- the physicality of print. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's also um, very important then for the way that you've gone about making this magazine because you haven't made, and I'm thinking of, um, you know, you mentioned the, the airports, uh, news agents, you haven't made a magazine that looks like, say, a news weekly. Um, you know, with kind of lots of um, headlines and and like and quite busy and colourful. It seems to me you've tried to make something which is deliberately slower and quieter than that. Um, def- definitely, yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons for that is <laughs> very practical. So we're a magazine. Our magazine comes out uh, four times a year, so we can't be on top of the agenda all the time. And I think this is true for for many people working in print these days. It really is. It really fills a different uh, kind of function now. It's not you're not first um, with the news anymore, right? You haven't been for a while, so you need to figure out how, what kind of stories do you want to tell if you don't want to tell the news, right? And um, I think that 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 is a limitation, but it's also an opportunity for um to slow down and take a step back and actually get some perspective on things and i think when we talk about the future that is incredibly important because the future is future is not just one thing there's no news from the future the future is not singular the future is many things it's we like to to at the institute we like to um work with uh, the three p's of future studies. And those are the the possible, the probable, and the preferable futures. And this is just a way to illustrate that, you know, at any given moment, there are a multitude of possible futures out there. And uh, we like to take a very deep and explorative approach, not providing the answers, but sort of outlining the many possibilities. There's there's a model we like to use, which is kind of a staple in future studies. Mm, It's mm, called mm. the futures cone. And it's a very simple model, but I think it illustrates this idea very well, this idea of the three Ps, the possible, the probable, and the preferable futures. So Mm. if you imagine 
the present as a dot on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. All our possible futures, in plural, because there are always many, there is never only one, sort of extend out like a cone from this dot, and they form a circle on the opposite end of the page, mm -hmm. if you can imagine that. Mm -hmm. And inside this circle are all the, the possible futures, that is anything you could think of, basically. But of course, not all futures are, are probable. That circle is a little smaller within the bigger one. And smaller still is the circle of, you know, preferable futures. That's the future that you and I would want to see. Uh, some of that overlaps with the, the probable futures, and some of that is in the field of possibility, but not in the field of probability. This is just, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, futurists love these kinds of uh, models and explanations, but it's just a way <laughs> to illustrate that um, you have to keep an open mind when working with the future. You have to keep an explorative approach because you can never be the the arbiter of truth. You can never be the one who predicts what is going to happen. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, print is just one way to, to uh, sort of take a step back and maybe um, take the broad field of view and allow yourself the time to go really go in depth with all these possible futures that I had. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're working within this framework then um, of the the possible, uh, probable, and and preferable uh, futures. What is the ideal type of story for you to be telling within that framework? What's the stuff? What's the sort of thing that when you get it in the magazine, you know this is exactly the right kind of story for you to be running? Well, you know, there's always. You always want to tell a good story, right? That is that is one of the main things in a magazine. You want to get people interested. You want to there's got to be some novelty there, something people haven't heard before, right? But um, we are blessed with a lot of good writers who come to us with excellent ideas for for stories. Something that I like to look for is um, uh, stories that sort of highlight um, some of the the what I like to think of as sort of the core principles behind scenario and uh, speaking broadly our work at the Institute. And that is that, you know, there's there's a number of different principles, but one I like to, to highlight is that the future is, is always contested, you know, just like history in the past, the future is sort of a, it's a battleground and there's always a, a struggle over who, who gets to define the future. And just like the past, the future doesn't really exist, but it's something we sort of conjure into being. A historian would write a history of the Cold War. Another historian would write a different history of the Cold War. The same really goes for, for the future. It's about uh, deconstructing the sort of the narratives that are dominant. So they could be political narratives or ideologies, or they could be Hollywood movies or sci-fi novels or... You know, they could be Elon Musk tweets or whatever people uh, associate with the future. Um, but there are stories and images out there that tend to dominate um, and define how a lot of people see the future. And these futures are, these stories are defined by a range of assumptions that it's very important to, I think, scrutinize and sort of deconstruct. Because as soon as you do that, um, you open up the field of possibilities and then alternative futures can emerge. Mm. Um, mm. So it's about 
exploration rather than prediction. And it's about deconstruction, but it's also about construction of alternatives. So I like to I like to look for stories that sort of approach the future with that mindset. Mm, mm, that mm. approach the future out of the strength of the imagination rather than the the, the confines of you know the current narratives that dominate our thinking about the future. It, also it... another thing I like to look for is you know when 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 thinking about the future, I think a lot of people immediately go to you know uh, technology, gadgets, science, mm. which is understandable because it's sort of one of the most tangible things we have when we think about the future. We have objects, and you know all our all our media, all our uh, movies, television shows, science fiction narratives. They all feature uh, advanced technology in some sort because it's something. Thing that's easy to imagine um, in the future as well. But um, I really like to look for stories that, that have sort of a, a multi-discipline approach. Um, I think that often produces the most interesting and useful results. So when looking at the future, it's not only about, you know, how technology will change the world. I think that is sort of a dominant narrative in a lot of the, the thinking and uh, a lot of the narratives about the future we see, you know, it's also present in the past. The car created suburbia or the contraceptive pill created the sexual revolution. We have all these stories we tell each other. Um, but for the future as well, you know, um, can can technology solve our problems? Can technology solve the climate crisis and so on? And it feels like you operate in this world where... <clears throat> you're maybe taking something which is just starting to come into the public consciousness or is, is being talked about, um, maybe not widely, but there, there's an interest there, and then blowing that out and, and looking at the different possible futures. So there's a, a piece uh, in one of your recent issues on hegenism. So, so looking at the way that uh, veganism has been marketed mainly towards women in the in the the past uh, but actually there's this growing um, shift mm. to to pointing it towards men which is mm. it's, it feels like the sort of thing that you know I'm kind of aware of that as a narrative that's been coming out but then but I've never read anything that goes into as much depth as this particular story. Mm. I, I really love that story as well um, <laughs> because it goes into so many of the things that that are interesting about producing writing about the future like we do and um one of them is this thing about challenging dominant narratives you know because for for a long time the 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 vegan was sort of you know the image of the vegan in the mainstream was sort of um you know it was the it was sort of the the kind of militant eco hippie image i think and that all really started to change very recently and i think I don't know if we're talking a five or ten year time frame, but it feels like it's been changing very fast. Um, now you have uh, vegan influence influencers on Instagram, and you have this changing image of the vegan, and it's it's really interesting to see where will this go as as more of our diet uh, will likely change from very meat heavy diets, at least in the West, towards some more plant plant based diet. What will the image of the vegan become then? Mm. And this article, uh, you know, does a great job of, of raising that question, I think. 
And I think it's 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 an interesting question because what you mentioned before that the, the future kind of is here. You can see it in glimpses, or at least you can see sort of patterns of change, uh, which we try to identify and then you know blow up and write stories about. And I keep coming back to this this quote by uh, by William Gibson, the the author. Uh, the guy who also coined the term cyberspace back in the 80s. And he said that the future is already here, it's just not very evenly distributed. And I think that that quote is so true in, in many different ways. Uh, you, I think all the ways you can interpret this quote are, are true to me at least. So you could take it to mean something about, um, you know, the future already exists materially, it's out there. So the Hegan could be an image of a future to come, right? Could also be uh, technology. Could be a new behavioral trend or whatever that that might uh, you know um, increase in strength in the decades to come. It can also mean that that the future, the the cutting edge, the high tech, the flashy, the new, is something that we can see out there, and some people may have access to it, but everyone doesn't. So whether you have access to you know the future in quotation marks depends on a lot of things. It can depend on your background, class, gender, race, etc. But this perspective also really has to do with decoding and, you know, trying to identify who controls the future in terms of who controls the narratives and how do we challenge those narratives. And I think the, the narrative of the vegan, going back to when vegans were, were sort of these, uh, for a lot of people, seen as sort of almost like an eco-fascist type of person, right? That's really been blown up and that, that has really changed in recent in recent times. That, that's an example of a, a dominant narrative being challenged as we speak today. Mm. So that's that's really an interesting uh, an interesting uh, story, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you clearly spend a lot of time thinking about the future and I'm guessing that you spend a lot of time thinking about this magazine. So can you tell us, uh, looking ahead into the next sort of five years or so, where do you see Scenario magazine going? We we actually just recently uh, did a whole relaunch of our um, of all our publications, including Scenario magazine. So we did the, the design had pretty much been the same for the last 10 years. So we, so we gave it a, a facelift. We also launched a new digital um, sister, little sister to Scenario Magazine called Scenario Digest. And we did a, a relaunch of our uh, our reports that we produce at the Institute. So they're now called Scenario Reports and are sort of part of that family. So right now we're just very focused on getting spreading the word and getting it out there. And I see... Um, I mean, I definitely still see uh, print five years to come, even 10 years to come, 20 years to come, hopefully. Hmm. Um, but I see us moving into the, the digital realm as well a lot and trying to work with new formats and experimenting with new concepts and ideas. Um, I mean, who knows what the future will hold? Even five years seems like a long time. <laughs> I mean, the first priority would, would be to get on the other side of this weird new uh, parallel dimension we have entered during during COVID times, I think. It seems like um, a lot of the planning now goes one, two or three months ahead. And it can, it can be difficult, I think, understandably, to, to look ahead with uh, a lot of certainty. Hmm. But uh, my, my preferred future would definitely be that we come out of this on top 
and we will continue to write stories about the future and bringing them to the people. <laughs> nice. Well, um, very good luck with keeping on doing that. Um, and thanks again for taking the time to talk. Thanks so much, Steve. My pleasure. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Casper for taking the time to speak with me uh, with all their reports and the quarterly magazine. They've got a pretty formidable publishing operation going over in Copenhagen. If you've been listening to this and thinking you want to have a read for yourself, head over to cifs.dk. So, of course, that stands for Copenhagen Institute Futures Studies. And you'll find lots of the reports and the most recent issues of the magazines available to buy. And I think you can subscribe to them directly, too. And speaking of subscriptions, I want to take a minute to mention our Christmas gift subscriptions, which are live on the Stack site now. Uh, just go to stackmagazines.com forward slash Christmas and you'll find our three, six and 12 month gift options all ready for you to buy and starting from just £20. Uh, sign up and we'll deliver a different independent magazine every month. Uh, the ideal solution for those tricky, hard to buy for people. So please do keep us in mind when you're planning your gifts this year. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and we'll be back with another one next week.